Welcome to a University of Bath IPR policy podcast. Great, thank you very much. Um, and I know lots of speakers often say this is an ideal time to be talking to you about this, but actually it really is because uh, in Wales, as part of this gender equality review, um, the First Minister has asked us to think you know, about what a feminist government might look like um, and how to make Wales the safest place in Europe for women and how to put uh, gender equality perspective at the heart of policy and decision making. So I've just been hoovering up ideas all day um, and I'm hoping in the Q&A it's not just questions to me but um, ideas from you too. So we're on the cusp of another opportunity in Wales and we've had a number over the last 20 years since devolution uh, and in fact next year we celebrate 20 years of the uh, Welsh Assembly, the National Assembly for Wales, which we think will soon be renamed uh, the Welsh Parliament. So it is another opportunity to take stock in Wales and try and understand uh, the legislative landscape and the effect it's had, but how to strengthen it and jump the gap, if you like, between legislation, policy and implementation. We in Wales may have great legislation in many respects in terms of equality and sustainability, but we suffer like every other part of the UK and many countries uh, around the world in terms of what our aspirations are and actually making them happen through the policy-making <coughs> process. So I'm going to look a little bit at uh, the history of um, equality in Wales, and then I'm going to tell you a little bit about the review that just happened in the spring of this year um, in terms of what the Welsh Government is doing and where it could improve, and also uh, this review that um, Jane mentioned of international best or promising practice. Now, um, during the process for devolution in Wales, uh, there were a lot of very strong feminist voices in politics, in NGOs and in academia, uh, who together with progressive men on the left argued for uh, two pieces of cross-cutting legislation in the devolution settlement. One of which was about sustainability, so everything the Welsh Government does, it has to demonstrate how it's promoting sustainability. Um, and the, the other piece of legislation was what we refer to uh, in shorthand as the mainstreaming quality duty. So building on the idea of gender mainstreaming, that it isn't enough to have anti-discrimination legislation and it isn't enough to have only equality objectives. It isn't enough to think about equality in vertical uh, <coughs> policy areas, that you have to ensure a gender perspective in all your decision-making and policy-making. You have to understand the inequalities in the policy field, field and make policy that promotes equality uh, is the basic premise of gender mainstreaming. And that was absorbed into the constitution in Wales, but in a different way. The uh, first act said, the assembly shall make appropriate arrangements to ensure that equality of opportunity is mainstreamed in all in the exercise of all its duties and functions. So it puts the promotion of equality, but on an equal opportunities footing, front and centre of all the, that uh, the uh, Welsh Government was required to do. Powers were then separated in 2006 between the legislative arm of the Government and the officials, and the new Act places this responsibility squarely on ministers and cabinet secretaries who have to report annually on the progress they've made for promoting equality in their portfolios. Fantastic. Uh, fourth generation law, Paul Cheney says, 
no derogation, all people, all policies. Demonstrate what you're doing to promote equality. It is part of government business. It's not what the Equalities Department does. Um, and there have been a number of reviews of how well this has been happening um, in the last few years, of which uh, the Gender Equality View is, the, is the, the most recent. So, a proactive approach. And the Welsh Assembly has had um, a gender-balanced uh, assembly um, for many of the past few years, if you take um, that on a 60-40 basis. And then around 2007, there was actually an equal number, an absolutely equal number of men and women in the Welsh Assembly. And around 2007, there were actually more women in the Cabinet than there were men. So along with uh, other countries like Spain in the EU and Sweden, it's done very well on the representation of women. Um, and research by um, Paul Cheney also says it's not just the, the representative number that's worked very well in Wales, it has actually changed substantively the quality of the, the debate so, so that there is substantive representation of women. It means that if you count up the hours of what's discussed in plenary, there are more um, issues that are relevant to women in terms of education and health and equality issues than there would have been um, in the previous legislatures, in the previous iteration of the Welsh Office, etc. <coughs> So he's saying it's changed the debate. Um, and certainly in the first five measures of the Assembly, you can clearly see equalities, um, Assembly measures, uh, in relation to carers and carers' assessments, um, in relation to children with special educational needs, actions on child poverty and mental health, all of which had a particular uh, equalities focus built into them. Um, and Wales has also integrated the UN rights, uh, the UN... UNCRC, can't remember the whole thing, UNC, into policy making. So again, when you're making policy in Wales, you need to understand the impact that will have in terms of children and children's rights. Um, and I was just down at uh, Swansea uh, with the Equality and Human Rights Commission on Tuesday and a head teacher talked to us about how important that is as lived experience and how they teach human rights at school um, on a daily basis and how it's changed the culture of that school and that Swansea is a city of sanctuary and a human rights uh, city where lots of agencies come together with the council and they really try to make these human rights applicable in practice in people's daily lives. Um, but uh, following the mainstreaming review in 2004 when the Welsh Government said how well are we doing on making sure we've got an equality perspective on all our policy making, the review said not terribly well, you know business is going on over here and then you've got this brilliant set of equalities champions and a really good equality unit and um, the standing um, committee on equality of opportunities doing a very good job and pulling in ministers across all the portfolios and senior officials and asking them what they're doing but the general day-to-day -day business the way the budget is set the way we set economic policy the transport policy is not being terribly affected by the equalities agenda and so as part of the review um, a new inclusive policy making method um, was introduced which asked officials to go through a kind of policy audit process in terms of the policy area before they made policy um, and of course it became not really used at the front end it got more used at the back end it became like our favorite equality impact assessments um, and it runs now with the sustainability uh, checklist and let's call it that 
to about 28 pages. So policy is still made, unfortunately, and then checked after. We are still not seeing equalities drive uh, policy making, is what that report said and pretty much what our report has said recently. And I think part of the reason for that is that our rather good mainstreaming duty, which has promote equality for all people, and which should then lead us to think about intersectionality, has kind of been supplanted by the public sector equality duty um, and the specific equality duty, which tend to drive us down the vertical routes of equality objectives by strands. And they do, through the equality impact assessment, tend to echo the Race Relations Amendment Act in 2002, which put this checking around equality impact at the end of the process rather than at the beginning of it. And it has become a process. It's become a little industry of its own. And we can all, um, those of us who work in equality, cite equality impact assessments from around the UK where a negative impact is found and there is no remedial action on the basis of that, even if EIAs are being done on a coherent or consistent basis. So a really good legislative landscape, um, a very strong um, social justice imperative within... Um, the Welsh Assembly, it's been Labour-led or Labour Coalition-led for the last 20 years, but we're still not quite getting there. Except perhaps in some distinct areas, but again, perhaps this isn't mainstreaming, it's uh, specific areas. Um, there has been in Wales a commitment to equal pay and closing gender pay gaps, those two things not being the same thing, uh, since the foundation of the Assembly. And there have been three iterations of close the pay gap campaigns which were jointly run by the Welsh Government and the Trade Unions Congress and the equality body relevant at the time the EOC and again this is pretty similar to the Scottish model you know various elements of the state getting together with social partners working with employers trying to make the case for addressing inequalities supporting them with tools um, and learning and the first iteration was really to try and embed in a meaningful way the National Joint Council um, agreement on equal pay and back pay settlements. Um, and then secondly, to roll that out to smaller companies and the private sector with toolkits and DVDs. Um, and then latterly to review the progress that had been made and the Welsh Government provided a capital direction as well to help governments uh, sorry, help councils make those back pay settlements in a timely and just way. So quite a lot of expenditure and effort to address the inequality in pay um, that we all have seen in local government over the years. As a result of this, the Welsh Assembly Government refused to adopt the gender equality duty in 2006 on the basis that the um, due regard duty have due regard to having an objective to addressing equal pay, which was contained in the gender equality duty, was seen as too weak in Wales in consideration of all the work and engagement um, that had already been going on. So for about three or four years before the Equality Act came in, we didn't actually have a gender equality duty in Wales. Public sector authorities acted as if there was one, but the Welsh Government had said, no, this is not strong enough. It would be a retrograde step from where we are. Um, and then following on from that in 2011, when under the Equality Act, the Welsh Government was able to bring in its own specific equality duties, it did so. In fact, that's what it said in 2006. We're not having this gender equality duty. We will wait until Welsh ministers are given the power to bring in their own. 
And so they did in 2011. And the research that we did that underpinned the duty clearly showed that this is an issue of employment structure. That the reason we have pay gaps, and we've talked about this this morning, is that men and women tend to work in very different occupations, uh, different working hours, different contract types, and as a consequence, quite often, of those three things at different grades. Um, and the point of this duty was that employers would work through this combination of understanding what vertical, horizontal, contract and working pattern segregation in their organisation meant in terms of driving gender pay gaps. And we had that conversation this morning about how much employers can do and yet they can't deal with the larger society, the gendering of society, the unpaid work, the assumptions about men and women's roles. But we talked to them about that and we said, you can't do that. This is a complex and wicked problem. You can't deal with the, the legacy of the breadwinner model in the labour market, but you can ensure that you don't reproduce inequalities within your organisations based on those wider societal assumptions. Um, and we took a no-blame attitude with them. Through the Women Adding Value to the Economy project, um, which ran to help employers understand their gender pay, pay gaps, but also to provide them with change. And I think this is really key as we come out of the uh, EU. European social funds have been phenomenally important in Wales to the promotion of equality and sustainability. And unlike research funds, they allow us to follow through on impact. It isn't that we only put out a piece of research and say, you know, this is what we recommend that you do based on the evidence that we've shown you. Through ESF funds, you can continue to actually work with employers and follow those change mechanisms through. We are potentially going to lose that unless our research funds fill that gap and we make impact meaningful. So we worked with uh, three very large public sector employers, about 23,000 employees in all, um, variation across the public sector, but all showed very strong uh, gender segmentation, pyramid structure in local government, with about 80% um, of women, sorry, 76% of women in the local government case study, 24% of men. That 24% of men have more than half of all the full-time jobs. All those full-time jobs are correlated with higher grades. 99% of the women in grades one to three working on a part-time basis, 11% with multiple part-time or casual jobs. And so this means you can have conversations with heads of services and finance directors about whether women are choosing part-time work or whether the fact that the jobs that women mainly do are only offered on a part-time basis and begin to get really into some quite challenging discussions. Um, so th what I'm trying to say is that collaborative approach in Wales has been very effective, um, potentially now eclipsed by the benchmarking and league table and publishing results thing that's happening in uh, the UK, so the rest of the UK, so I can see us doing some alterations around the GPG duty. Mm -hmm. But we situated this in workforce planning and so it had life beyond the end of the project and I think that's important. Um, again, it's not just about equality measures and vertical um, equality approaches, it has to sit in the wider organisation as part of common sense workforce development and planning. Some further recent policy innovations in Wales. Um, the Wellbeing of Future Generations Act you may have heard of. 
Um, and you may have heard representatives of the UN say what Wales does today, the world will do tomorrow. Um, and this sets out seven uh, well-being goals in terms of a more prosperous Wales, a resilient Wales, healthier Wales, a more equal Wales, a Wales of co cohesive communities, uh, vibrant culture and uh, thriving Welsh language, and a globally responsible Wales. And again, it is saying to all the public bodies in Wales and newly created public service boards, which bring together uh, the police, local government, health, um, that they have to promote well-being within their communities. Um, and they also have this five ways of doing that with a big emphasis on the prevention agenda. So don't make decisions now that somebody else is going to have to pay for in 2040. Think about what you do now that affects the next generation. And think about sustainability in um, society, the economy, um, the environment, and also uniquely uh, in culture. So these are big moves, and there are lots of overlaps here in this five ways of working with the tenets of mainstreaming in terms of consultation and collaboration and preventative work as well. So you can see a potential thread through or a potential way of connecting up some of these duties. Um, the Welsh Government also introduced in 2015 the Violence Against Women, Domestic Abuse and Sexual Violence Act, which produces a national training framework for public service providers. Everyone is trained on the front line to try and recognise the signs of domestic violence uh, in finance, psychology of that, um, when people prevent, present to services as service users. Um, we're also very lucky to have two national advisors um, uh, who are ministerial advisors on violence against women, both of whom um, I have heard talk about uh, what was talked about this morning in terms of women, uh, particularly from certain ethnic minorities, being afraid to say that they are suffering domestic violence and domestic abuse before fear of being detained and deported. So that intersectional conversation is going on to some extent in Wales. Uh, we have also had the report, A Parliament That Works for Wales, which Sarah was also involved in, which again asks for um, legislative quotas if Wales adopts a single transferable vote before the next election. Um, if they don't adopt that system to require political parties um, to ensure gender balance in their candidatures. Um, and a really interesting report on the future of sex and relationships in Wales, so that it is now mandatory to have sex and relationships guidance in Wales, but it's no longer really referred to as sex and relationships, it's sexuality in relationships, and the emphasis actually on relationships. Um, and this is going to be groundbreaking in terms of these discussions that we've talked about today around gender stereotyping uh, in the classroom. And it will be embedded in the new curriculum um, the new from the Donaldson Review, which starts uh, from this September, I think. So lots of very exciting and positive moves. Um, and then the First Minister on uh, International Women's Day this year said... I want Wales to be a feminist government. Other governments have done it. What can we do? How do we do that? I want Wales to be the safest place for women in Europe. Um, and I want to put uh, equality at the heart of decision-making. So another review. Uh, and a two-part review um, with uh, Hwarateg, the non-governmental organisation who've managed this process, looking at what the Welsh Government does now and how it can improve. Um, and then I got the fun job of looking at the creative and energetic stuff that goes on in other countries. So, the Welsh Government was found wanting 
legislation is fantastic, there's an implementation gap. Business is still going on over here, equalities is going on over here. And in part, this could be because of the way the equality duties are set up. Set some objectives, do some consultation, do a bit of engagement, uh, do some equality impact assessments. And it is, it is very possible, I think, to do all of those things so that you comply with the equality legislation and tick all those boxes, but actually don't achieve or change anything. And that's not, not a Wales issue, that's an issue across the public sector equality duties. There are attempts to address cross-cutting government, but the budgets are still set on a vertical basis, and we all know where the biggest pots of money are. The engagement and impact assessment process I've talked about. There's a gender-neutral or equalities-neutral approach, essentially. It's not understanding how policy should be made from various equalities perspectives. It's kind of saying, actually, it will just affect everybody equally, or it will, it will have a negative impact over here. But, you know, given austerity, there's not much we can do about it. So they're really not worth, potentially, the paper that they're written on. Uh, the Valder SV Act has been brilliant, but it's been slow in terms of implementation. There's still a culture of disbelief belief around reporting. We need to do more work about understanding um, the different sorts of violence against women, the impact it has, um, and do better in terms of the way public services respond. The, there's some suggestion now that because... Uh, the Wellbeing of Future Generations Act requires a more equal Wales, that people are attending now to what they're required to do, which is set out their objectives and their plans by the summer of this year, um, and leaving out the duties or saying, well, we don't need to do our quality duties, we're already doing that under the Wellbeing of Future Generations Act. Some suggestion of that. There is fragmented capacity for equalities. We've lost a lot of staff in public services in the last decade, and uh, there's a loss of institutional knowledge around equalities. And so uh, things we did 10 or 15 years ago are not known about. The processes we've been through, where we are now and how we got there, are not necessarily known about. We've lost a lot of knowledge um, during uh, the recession and austerity. We need to strengthen external uh, scrutiny and accountability. And I think that is essentially... that. In all these equalities duties, whether it's the Welsh duty or our public sector duty, we measure process. I think this is really key. We measure process. As I say, it's possible to say that you've fulfilled your duties but not actually be asked to show what impact that's had and how you have changed inequalities. So, um, as I say, I got the fun bit. So I get to look at the countries in the world closest to closing their uh, gender gaps. Um, and I chose to do that by looking at the World Economic Forum Global Gender Gap Report and the European Institute of Gender Equalities, uh, Equality Index. Um, and lo and behold, the Nordic countries come at the top of both of those. Obviously, Iceland and Norway are not in the IGA-1, they're not in the EU. But they, Iceland tops the... Um, World Economic Forum indices and has done for the last nine years um, and is said to have closed 88% of its gender gap. Now, I'm not going to get into the indices and the issues around them and the methodologies, but they are a good indication of 
political participation, violence against women, the level of women's economic independence, uh, progression in work and pay. They are a good place to start. So looking at the Nordic countries, uh, what it's very clear to see is that they have this very different welfare model. And how many times have we talked this morning about the issue of co-dependency, whereas if you live in the nice north, as we sometimes call these countries, you will be treated by the state as an individual. Um, and each of them seems to have very clearly, on that welfare model, been able to set out a goal of women's economic independence, something we can't do here in the UK or in Wales because of the way the welfare and tax system is set up. And we've talked about you know, today how that prevents us from setting even that goal of economic independence for women. This welfare model is um, underpinned by a dual mainstreaming strategy. So let's look at all policy and use all policy to promote equality. But we will also have specific initiatives to address gender equality. Um, and that long social democratic tradition of an egalitarian society, something we can only dream of, where everybody understands in the society what it's about, where they're going, and has a shared vision. Uh, about what their society should look like and that fairness and equality is part of that picture. Equality of outcome, not of opportunity. There's a specific Swedish word that means equality of outcome mm -hmm. and there's another word that means equality of opportunity. And when people talk about gender equality, they talk about equality of outcome. So they're not talking about the process, they're talking about what we're going to achieve. Um, and they have this clear vision of gender equality and I think this is one of the most exciting things about what's happening in Wales at the moment is we're going to set out what we think gender equality looks like you know, beyond individual equality objectives in various bits of the public sector where the Welsh government will make a statement about what it's aiming for in terms of an equality vision and um, if you look at the the Swedish one uh, the Swedish vision for equality is gender equal division of power and influence economic gender equality, gender equal education, an equal distribution of unpaid housework and the provision of care, um, and a gender equal health service and men's violence against women uh, will stop. Some of the language in here is very powerful. It talks about manipulation in everyday, lang in everyday situations. It goes into the nitty gritty of what builds to unequal power relations. And I think by setting out some of these things, we can produce a powerful vision I think and what we need to do though is take people with us it has to be uh, understood by the population of Wales and not just us who enjoy thinking about um, equality uh, within academia or in public services so it has to be communicated widely there has to have buy-in I mean my I keep saying what I would like is people walk down Queen Street in uh, Cardiff, there's a massive, you know, one of those lovely idiot video, interactive video boards, you know, and it says, you know, this is our vision of equality <laughs> in Wales. And on the way to the rugby match, they can all go, yep, that's what we're aiming for. I like that. And so part of that, part of that communication is um, the availability of data, but in really accessible ways. And those of you who know Theresa Rees, you know, one of the godmothers of uh, mainstreaming, may have heard her tell you the story of you know, when in the early days, in the 90s, she went to Sweden uh, to talk about gender mainstreaming or to learn more about mainstreaming. The taxi driver got out his stats book on gender equality and said, well, I can tell you how many men and women call ambulances and the average time 
and why women are more reluctant to call ambulances and stuff. So we've got to have that wider communication and people understand why knowing this stuff is interesting and valuable and affects us on a daily basis. We're going to have a look at the Scottish mainstreaming duty, um, which is one of the specific duties and requires that all the other duties are operated through this lens of ensuring that we've had a think about what the inequalities are in education and employment in the apprenticeship programme before we design those programmes. Um, Wales has also said it will think about introducing the socio-economic duty. It now has the powers to do so under the Wales Act. Um, but we need to think about that very carefully. Our Future Generations Commissioner has also got powers in relation to poverty and socio-economic inequality. So we will be thinking about how we can bring these things together. Um, and I'm also hoping that we'll look at... Uh, the work that's been going on in Iceland around equal pay certification, where the Icelandic government has developed an ISO 500 certification and is asking all the companies, public and private, in Iceland to get certified to show that they've done this equal value assessment. And of course there are implications there, aren't there, around the use of public uh, money in terms of procurement and having those um, bits of certificates. So these are my big questions and the questions for Horateg um, and the steering group that's going to take this work forward in the next year, so I'm hoping you've got some answers. What do we mean by gender equality? I see today that there's a report out by the, um, the Young Women's Trust that, said, that says 50% of young women uh, would call themselves feminists, which is great. But what kind of feminism is that? I mean, do we really know, we people who've been at this for years, what does that look like? Is that... Uh, equal treatment kind of feminism? Is that uh, anti-discrimination feminism? Or would it run to, you know, designing services with a gender perspective in mind? I think we need to know more about uh, young people's views in this process. You know, wh what does gender equality mean, um, you know, in, in the kind of continuum now from, you know, gender identity to gender as a sex class relationship in terms of paid and unpaid work? Where are we on that continuum with the population as a whole by age and by ethnicity and uh, all the other intersecting inequalities. And again, this, when we set out this vision for gender equality in Wales, we need to do that on an intersectional basis. And we had a good go at it about 10 years ago, uh, looking at a kind of intersectional mainstreaming method for policy auditing. Um, you know, another collaborative group of equality stakeholders from um, NGOs and uh, statutory bodies who worked together to understand the differences between them in terms of what they thought equality was and what they thought evidence was um, and worked through what a social care model might look like if you included ways of overcoming inequalities for all those different and intersecting um, uh, dimensions of inequality. And what we, what we found was there are often different drivers behind the inequalities that we face and that we mustn't collapse them all, but we can find solutions that kind of hit several, several buttons, if you like. So flexible care, flexible working uh, seem to help hugely in a, in a, in a care model uh, for gender, disability and age and particular ethnic groups. So there are ways of doing this if the time and resource is in there. But we're going to have another go at setting out what the definition of Welsh intersectionality looks like in Welsh policy and it's going to be complicated um, and we have to entertain the idea that that it's too difficult um, and we have to make it 
doable and usable mm. and not the kind of epistemological kind of mm. uh, infinite place where I can't cope with intersectionality. I have to, <laughs> well, we have to make it doable and real. Uh, and that means including lived experiences. That means including the voices of those who directly can explain to us. You know, on the ground, this is what it looks like to me and not make it a kind of academic uh, process. We need an agreed concept of a feminist government. So uh, we're going to be looking at Canada here, I think, who have the presidency of the G7 and have uh, set themselves the goal of becoming a feminist government. And a recent uh, Oxfam Canada uh, feminist scorecard has given them uh, a tick on a gender equal uh, cabinet and it's given them a tick on the use of gender-based uh, analysis. Uh, and they've managed to do a lot of policy work in the last... Uh, 12 months, but they haven't rolled it out across the whole of government and they haven't institutionalised it, so they're on the way. Um, and they've also done very well, say Oxfam, in investing in the women's sector. How important it is to try and stop the drip, drip, drip effect of austerity on, on women's services and women's organisations and how important it is to invest in, in women's advocacy organisations so they can be there with the policymakers and tell them what the issues are. Um, but, you know, I slightly worry. They've got two-year research projects and a, you know, uh, a slightly longer time period, potentially, than we have. Um, and we're going to have another look at gender budgeting and talking about time. The Icelandic government did a two-year pilot and have now set up a kind of five-year um, action plan. Um, I slightly worry about our nine-month time scale, but we'll do what we can... <laughs> In, in the time to produce by July 19, 2019 a roadmap for gender equality. So something that carries the vision through. And once we've set out the vision and our version of intersectionality, we will be working very closely uh, with the Wellbeing of Future Generations Act and the legislation under the Violence Against Women um, uh, Act too to make sure that our vision for equality is also carried through those other bits of legislation and that when public sector um, organisations come to set out what they're going to do to promote equality, they don't have to do something for the Future Generations Commission and something for the Equalities Commission, that these things are integrated and they come together. So essentially we're going to be looking at how we can integrate the concepts of equality and wellbeing and can we do that? And can we then come up with accountable um, structures? Um, and the other thing I think that is very important, looking at Carol Backey's work um, and building on the work that we did in WAVE, really, is this learning practice model. I think if we really are going to ensure that we're able to promote equality, we really need officials, academics, women's organisations and people with experience of inequalities working together on this policy audit work and understanding the inequalities uh, in a field and coming up them together with policy solutions. And the question there is, you know, when does policy development start? Does it start at the manifesto stage? Or can you still influence uh, those outcomes at the point that officials are asked to translate those policies into action? And then finally, the big learning from the Nordic um, countries, I think, was how seriously uh, the business of understanding how to put equality at the heart of decision-making and policy-making is taken in terms of the provision of gender research institutes and very high-level uh, advisors for different ministries and high-level ministers with the equalities portfolio 
um, and training and budgets and resource to do this work uh, properly. Thank you. Very good.